Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the parental rights edition. This week, we're talking about where a parent's rights end and their children's rights begin, whether representatives in the Ohio House will back the Senate's policy-heavy budget, why the governor wants parents to monitor their kids' social media, and what the rewrite of Issue 1 says. Joining me this week is reporter Jesse Ballmert, back from vacation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you picked a hell of a week to come back. Indeed. How were the thousands of pages in the state? budget for you. They were good nighttime reading. So our first topic is one that Jesse and I actually tag team this week, and that's three different bills impacting LGBTQ children that eventually became two bills that eventually didn't actually come up for a vote. Yeah, I have this actual uh, talent at any time I'm following a bill, it tends to not end up on a floor vote. So I don't know if this is a power that I'm using for good or evil, but um, (laughs) I did attend a committee on Wednesday morning where House Bill 68, which is looking at transgender medical care and what procedures would be permitted in Ohio for minors, received a number of amendments, most prominently one that would ban uh, transgender girls and women from participating participating in female-only sports, which has been another uh, controversial piece of legislation that really hasn't gotten over the threshold individually, but has been added to many bills in the past, including name, image, and likeness, and even sports betting. Yeah. So those two bills became one bill, which is House Bill 68. It is potentially going up on the floor next week. We don't really know. And then the second one was what we call House Bill 8. Now, this is a parental rights bill that I teased at the beginning, but it really impacts LGBTQ children because it says that parents would have the right to know if their children are questioning their gender identity or their sexuality, that teachers would have to disclose this. So in school districts, like there'd be no exemptions. Like even if a teacher suspected abuse or neglect based on this disclosure, they would still have to share. They're sort of saying that parents have the right to know in all situations, in all cases, like no exceptions. Correct. And it's possible that one or both of these bills is going to be on the House floor next week. Speaking with Speaker Stevens after the session, he said, you know, these are bills that they're making priorities and they want to get done in June along with the state budget. Our second topic is social media. So Governor Mike DeWine used his bully pulpit this week to pressure lawmakers to keep a provision in that big state budget that would require social media companies to verify the age of new account creators and then get parental consent for anyone younger than 16. So this is currently in the version of the budget that is being debated right now. And, you know, it's something that like states across the country are currently considering, like how much like should I know as parent about what my kids are doing online? Yeah, I think it is a topic that a lot of people are considering right now. And even the American Psychological Association is saying that social media among teenagers and and younger kids can lead to depression and anxiety and loneliness. And so there is some research that, you know, unlimited access to (laughs) TikTok and Facebook and all the rest of the social media might not be the most pleasant thing for teenagers and kids. But what does that look like? I, I know you wrote about Utah having a bit of a curfew. So that's something other states have considered, um, but not something that's on the docket for Ohio right now. Yeah. So some states put uh, parental consent at 18. We chose 16. Yeah. Utah has the most expansive law where you would have to shut social media access to minors from like 10 30 p.m. to 
to 6.30 a.m. Now, you know, they you would get access to all of your child's chats or transcripts or activity online that would just have to be provided to the parent. It's very, it is probably the strictest one in the country right now. And, you know, there is this push maybe to do something at the federal level. It sounds like social media companies are actually starting to move towards that idea that like one uniform plan would be best. Probably not Utah. I don't think they're exactly a fan of that one. But also the other question is like, how do we do this age verification, right? How do we do non-custodial parents, divorce decrees? Like what if uh, grandma is my care provider. So like some of this is going to get a little tricky just like for the companies, like first, you know, verifying how old any account user is, is pretty straightforward, right? Like they're like, you can provide a driver's license. You can provide a birth certificate, a passport. You can show them credit cards, like all things that if you're over 16, you probably have. Yeah. And we've talked about some of the detriments of social media. And I think anyone who's been on social media for more than a hot second (laughs) knows there's a mixed bag out there. Yeah. Um, But I know in particular, like isolated groups, LGBTQ teenagers, you can really find a community there sometimes that you might not be receiving in your friends and family at home. And so there are some pros to social media and particular connecting to people who might have similar interests, especially if you're kind of in an isolated situation. So finding the right path forward for social media, you know, it's going to be challenging, but it definitely seems like something that lawmakers are prioritizing and that Governor Mike DeWine and Lieutenant Governor John Husted are prioritizing in these coming months. Our third topic is the passage of that big state budget in the Senate. So everyone who voted for it on Thursday called it both conservative and transformational. But where the two parties couldn't see eye to eye is whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the citizens of Ohio. So Ohio's budgets usually garner support from members of both parties. But this week, it was just Republicans who supported the state Senate's version. So because it included things like changing who's in charge of K-12 education, sweeping changes to how Ohio's public colleges and universities operate. There was a reduction in the dollars for public schools from the House budget. So more than we currently fund, but less than the House. There was a reduction in food bank funding. So again, it was from the House budget, but more than we currently do. That just so like everyone's clear about what the stakes are. A reduction again in state subsidized child care, uh, funds for housing for pregnant women. And Democrats were like, they just couldn't get on board with all of that. Yeah, I think the state's two-year budget, it's easy to think of this as just a lot of money that the state is spending, and it is. Yes. It's it's billions (laughs) of dollars. That is also what we are doing here. But it also comes with a large amount of policies, and you certainly outlined some of them, but, you know, Department of Education being under more control by the governor, um, state employees needing to work in person and not at home for four days out of the week. You mentioned parental consent on social media. The House had talked about raising the minimum salary for teachers. Features and, and that appears to be out in the Senate version. So a ban on flavored vaping. So there's <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah, the budget kind of becomes everything but the kitchen sink. And that happens every two years, but it's particularly true in this in this budget. And so the question remains, will the House accept some of these changes, most of these changes? How much policy reform will they be willing to accept if the Democrats aren't that interested in the Senate? Yeah. And just so listeners understand, there are 67 Republicans 
Republicans in the Ohio House. That's 67 of 99. They have a supermajority over there, too. So theoretically, like they could pass a budget without any Democratic support. It hasn't happened, I guess, since Governor Kasich's very first budget, but it's not to say that it never happens. You know, I think it's potentially trending that way. Like some of this policy that is in the budget is just like non-negotiable for Democrats. So we could be looking at a fully partisan state budget getting out next week. Yeah, and that's something that you can do in Ohio. Like you said, yeah. Republicans hold a supermajority in both the House and the Senate. The governor is a Republican. So you really could ignore the views of Democrats and pass the state budget here. The challenge to that is a lot of the Democrats do represent the cities, the largest population centers in the state. And it is generally beneficial to, to reach some compromise on some of these policies. So we'll see what sort of negotiations and horse trading happens in the coming weeks. Our fourth and final topic is a second take for issue one. Voters will see a new explanation for how the constitutional amendment works when they vote on August 8th, thanks to a ruling from the state Supreme Court that said the old language was basically incorrect. The two corrections dealt with how many signatures must be collected for proposed amendments and the fact that these new rules would only apply to citizen brought changes. Opponents for the ballot language say it's still biased, especially the part where voting yes would, quote, elevate the standards for state constitutional amendments. So it was a partial win for both sides of this issue. Yeah, it, some of this is semantics, but it, words matter. I think you and I both agree that with yeah. that as journalists. And so particularly this 5% thing will be interesting. There has been a lot of focus on the main thrust of issue one, which is raising the threshold needed to amend the state constitution from 50% to 60%. And that has been the main focus. But even getting to that point, getting on the ballot, you would now have to collect signatures from 88 counties instead of 44 counties, which is the current rule. And that would be very hard, I yeah. would think. You run into places like Vinton County or Holmes County, which has a large Amish population that I doubt many people get signatures from there right now when they're looking at which 44 they want to collect from. So these changes would make it much harder to amend the state constitution. And proponents say that's a good thing, that the state constitution shouldn't be filled with this these kinds of policies. And proponents say, you know, with a GOP-controlled legislature and a supermajority, the only way for them to get policies through is through amending the state constitution and that citizens have a right to do that. Yeah. And just a quick note that the second lawsuit challenging whether we can even hold an August election has not been decided as of the recording of this podcast. We are still waiting to see whether the state Supreme Court is going to weigh in on whether the creation of this election was legal. Yeah. If you're a guessing person, and I guess I'll, I'll guess, um, <laughs> if you're going to completely outlaw an August election, I'm not sure you would spend the time debating like the language that's going to be used in that election. So my my guess would be that the Ohio Supreme Court is going to let the August election stand, but I have no insight. Uh, They're not telling me. So. And one more thing before you go. A Republican lawmaker is in a little bit of hot water this week after a video surfaced of him shoving a protester outside the state house on Wednesday. Representative Scott Wiggum, as seen on the video, is walking past a protester who's playing a drum and it appears as though he walks into him and elbows him in the chest. The protester, whose name is Chris Connemy, filed a police report with state police. No charges have been filed yet. And we've also had no comment from either Wiggum or House Speaker Jason Stevens. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But just looking at the video, it seems like he could have gone around him or it wasn't avoided a very crowded him in some, sidewalk in some way. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see what Highway Patrol says about that. And we'll certainly be following up on what the speaker and uh, Representative Wiggum say when they get back to us. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like daily-jeff.com.